The train has left the station, and the countryside is a blur beyond the window. A woman sits there, watching the blur, a fountain pen in one hand. She wears a modest but fashionable frock, looking like she's taking a far shorter journey than she really is. Nearby, a tall man in a new suit reads a newspaper, looking far less dangerous than he really is. So find a window and watch the world go silently by. It's time for Neon Jezebel. Hello, friends. We will return to this exciting episode of Neon Jezebel in just a moment. But first, a word from Baby Blue Manatorine Cigarettes. Extra-dimensional pockets are the public safety scourge of our age. Areas of friction between our fourth-dimensional space and fifth-dimensional space can appear anywhere and at any moment. If one appears near you, you could have extremely detrimental effects to your psychological health. There's only one way to protect yourself from the adverse effects of extra-dimensional exposure, and that's Manatorine. Manatorine is FDA-approved to combat the psychological toll extra-dimensional pockets can have on a person. Lighting up a Manatorine cigarette while in the vicinity of one such pocket can save you weeks, months, or even years of psychological distress. Baby Blue Manatorine cigarettes are wrapped in our patented Baby Blue fast-catching paper. No cigarette paper in the world lights as quickly or reliably as Baby Blue's. Baby Blue fast-catching paper not only lights faster, but it burns hotter, too. Each strip of Baby Blue fast-catching paper is treated with a special and entirely safe chemical compound that increases the normal temperature of a lit cigarette, which means the manatorine inside oxidizes faster and gives you a stronger dose of manatorine than any other product on the market. Nothing is faster, and nothing is safer when it comes to extra-dimensional pockets. Get the relief and protection you need right when you need it with Baby Blue Fast-Catching Paper, found only in Baby Blue Manatorian Cigarettes. That's Baby Blue. Ask for it by name. And now, back to the program. Dear Mother, you know I'm not one to bury the lead, but I don't quite know where to start. I'm leaving. I'm married. I know. As I write this, I am aboard a train bound for Colorado. My old friends, the Free Winters, got in touch with me after they heard about my kidnapping. They offered to help in any way they could, and I asked if they might take me in for a while so that I might convalesce far from reminders of that strange ordeal. They were effusive in their acceptance. They even paid to upgrade my train tickets. Of course, a cross-country journey is a dangerous proposition for a woman alone. I could travel with my bodyguard, Lucian, but that can prove intolerable for some. For delicacy's sake, then, I asked Lucian if he would deign to marry me. It was not the stately soiree I know you dreamed of for me. For you. For Boston's high society. We went to the courthouse this morning to sign the necessary papers, and 
have the justice of the peace go through his civil rituals. From there, we were off to the train station, and now we share a paltry honeymoon in a sleeper car. Don't pity me for this marriage of convenience. Lucian has shown every sign of being an adequate husband. More than that, it was bound to happen. From the first day he was in my employ, I suspected that we would marry. Our affinity was too immediate, and our contact was too constant for any other result. I became certain of our impending nuptials when we began to argue. There was simply too much passion in the way he questioned me, too much genuine care, and I found myself pushing back without the ego of an employer, but rather with the strange staunchness one finds during an intimate argument. I have every hope that ours will be a happy marriage. It remains to be seen how long it will take him to realize that I am no longer his superior, in the business sense at least, and I wonder who he will be when the husband emerges from the bodyguard. But such are the questions of every bride, I suppose. Mother, we never had the opportunity to talk about my kidnapping. The circus Uncle Henry kicked up around my return was too overwhelming, and the tent was hardly collapsed when necessity called you back to Boston. It was very diplomatic of you to invite me to return with you, we both knew you would ask, and we both knew I would refuse. Just as, I believe, we both knew that the circus was the entire purpose of my taking. I won't hear you deny it. It was too perfect to be unconstructed, and I saw Uncle Benjamin's trademarks on it from the start. He showed his hand too early. When those first threatening letters started arriving... His insistence that I use some of his lackeys as bodyguards was too professional. I'm sure that air is refreshing and calming to his clients, but I am family. I am a syme. One does not grow up in that house of whispers without learning to see espionage spinning its webs in every neglected corner. It was clumsy of him to make the offer, and clumsier still to have his spies submit their applications when I called publicly for them. I suppose he did not quite know what good those spies were to do him at the time. He smelled opportunity and fumbled through the darkness to grasp it. It is forgivable, the clumsiness, and I don't mention it to impugn his skills as a spymaster. In that vein, I highly recommend the services of one of his minions— a fellow by the name of Ryan Wolf. He not only got himself an interview with me, but I came quite close to hiring him. He was perfect right up until the end. That Carolinian accent he put on was well-researched, but it slipped on one A. Hearing one sour note in a symphony is the privilege of our House of Whispers, do consider this a letter of recommendation on Mr. Wolf's part. He was excellent. Delacane was better. Naturally, I was suspicious when she first wrote to me. Anyone who requests private counseling without any prior meeting is to be suspected. However, I did grant her an interview, and my first sight of her dispelled any doubts completely. 
Have you seen Miss Kane? She is a woman who nearly became a bird, but then found she could not become a woman again. There was no question that something profound had happened to her. The evidence of it was so apparent, so unavoidable. How could I doubt anything she told me? Uncle Benjamin chose her very well. The surface truth of her was so overwhelming, I never bothered looking any deeper. Not until it was too late. As soon as I heard that truck come through the hedges, I knew Uncle Benjamin was springing his trap. My main focus, as the adrenaline clarity hit my system, was to hide Della. Who knew, I thought, what they would do to her? I couldn't let them see her. I had to protect my patient. So you can imagine my surprise when they burst through my bedroom door, looked me in the eyes, and asked where Jezebel was. I was stunned. They weren't here for me. I had been so sure that realizing they didn't care who I was paralyzed me. I was frozen as they tossed the room, finding Della in the closet. It wasn't until I saw her fighting back that I even thought of resisting. That was when they pulled out the guns. Have you ever looked down the barrel of a gun, mother? When Uncle Benjamin told you his plan, did he mention guns? How much did you know? I'm curious. They were leaving then, leaving me sitting on my bed, helpless, until Della pulled one of their masks off. She was clawing and fighting them. I remember watching one of her feathers drifting down. It was such a slow fall. It didn't seem right that something should drift so gently down in that moment of screaming and fighting. But she got one of their masks off, and I saw his face. That was why they took me. That was the only reason they took me. Della played her role so well. How long was I gone before Uncle Henry alerted the media? I know it was the same day. One of my kidnappers read it in the paper that next morning. By then, we were in that old house— Della and I tied up in being spoon-fed creamed corn and peaches by the woman. It was the skinny man. He came in as the woman was feeding us and demanded to know my name. When I told him, he was positively frantic. The FBI would be after them now, he said. At one point, he shouted, We have lost the moral high ground. <laughs> and I just about laughed. Moral high ground. Uncle Henry was using my kidnapping, as arranged by Uncle Benjamin, as leverage to discredit his competition for a Senate seat. My kidnappers had no idea how deep in they were. None whatsoever. I will say, in the long list of things that shocked me about this whole event, near the top is how bored I got. Della and I were tied up almost two days straight. We were alone with each other for most of the time. We didn't talk much because we were worried what our kidnappers might do. The room where they kept us was some strange sitting room. 
It connected a large bedroom and a bathroom, but was too narrow to be of much use. It had a large window with a lovely view out on the surrounding forest. I didn't get to enjoy that much as we were sat facing away from it, but I could watch the sunlight move across the wall. So I was not devoid of entertainment. The fear never went away. We always knew where our kidnappers were in the house, always knew that they could charge in and kill us at any moment. And yet, that second day, the tedium was so much greater than the fear. I wonder if that's normal. Do ask Uncle Benjamin about that for me. I'm sure he would know. Della was good. I'll grant that it is hard to read her moods, her face not so expressive since her incident. But she gave every sign of being as surprised as I was by the whole event. That is, until the second morning. Della and I were alone, and I heard the window scratch open. I nearly screamed. It was Mr. Wolf again. Imagine my surprise. He didn't say anything to me, just left a small box under Della's chair and told her Galahad and Percival are on their way. Then he climbed back out of the window. Della refused to answer any of my appertaining questions. A few hours later, there was gunfire. More screaming. But you know that part. Lucian rescued me as I knew he would. Uncle Henry got the newspapers to ravage that pastor he was running against without ever implicating the man. Della escaped out the window and disappeared. It was masterful. My congratulations to Uncle Benjamin on a scheme well executed. If you are going to write back, and I hope you do, please be prompt and frank. Lucian and I are headed west, but Lucian was not alone. That friend of his, Mr. Edgewater, had remained behind. It turns out he is a man of considerable resourcefulness. There are depths to him that remained hidden from me despite the skills I learned in our house of whispers. He revealed quite a bit as we were parting. I was thoroughly astounded by how much he had managed to hide from me, I wonder how much Uncle Benjamin knows. You will want to ask him, but I suspect it won't matter. You see, I told Mr. Edgewater everything. Absolutely everything. As a final charge of my employment, I asked him to have a word with Uncle Benjamin and his co-conspirators. Your name is on that list, Mother. So, do write back quickly... You can reach me care of the Freewinters, Aspen, Colorado. Sincerely, Mrs. Rosamond Gabriel. Neon Jezebel is written and performed by Zachary Westbrook. This episode featured Mallory Dowd as Rosamond Syme. You can find us on the internet at neonjezebel.com or on Instagram at neonjezebelpodcast. If you liked this show, Please give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you're listening from.